Download. I'm Kate Hamer. I run a marketing and digital consultancy, Kate Hamer Limited. I've worked in large brands like Unilever, Disney and L'Oreal for over 15 years and a decade of that I was in digital. And I know how hard it can be to keep up to date with the fast moving world of digital. So this podcast will hopefully help you by giving you a summary of the past couple of weeks news. And I also discuss key topics in the industry. Thanks as always to everyone who's downloaded it. Please subscribe, please leave a review and help me shoot up the business charts. Thanks also to people who give me feedback. It really is helpful. I want this to be your podcast. So do tweet at Kate Hamer LTD or email kate at katehamer.com with any feedback, with any questions or any topics that you would like me to cover. It's a bumper edition, having had a break for a couple of weeks. So this week I'm going to be talking about developments on Facebook Messenger ads, Instagram stories, some changes to WhatsApp, the future of Vine, the spectacles launch for Snap Inc. And also some stuff around the election and the way social media worked in that, the presidential election that is. And of course, the Christmas ads have all started to come out this week, so I'll talk about those as well. So let's get cracking. As I said, I haven't done a podcast for a couple of weeks. I've been launching the Call Collymore app, so shameless plug time. If you're into football, download Call Collymore in the Play Store or the App Store. Check out the podcasts. We're actually number one in the sports chart for podcasts and even above Desert Island Discs in all podcasts at the moment, so going well uh we've done our first outside broadcast from Wembley phone in if you've got any thoughts on football or your team uh check it out call Collymore is what you want to search so we'll crack on with the podcast after that sponsored message from me few things just about the industry in general last time I talked about the digital ad industry figures that came out that were showing that revenues had grown 19% in the first half of this year versus last year actually if you remove Google and Facebook from those figures then the rest of digital advertising is actually in decline at three percent so I've embedded a tweet on the companion page that shows those figures but really is being driven by Facebook and Google. So on to Facebook. Firstly, Facebook Messenger is now going to let bot creators buy newsfeed ads so that you can target specific groups of people and that might be to get them to subscribe to certain things. It's a public release now it's been on beta in august and september but it's being rolled out now publicly so it's a combination of sponsored messages and newsfeed ads that can drive more people to interact with these bots so the good news is that these ads can obviously only be interacting with people that have previously interacted with a bot so they're not just going to suddenly start appearing as messages in people's folders but each time you click get started on the welcome screen of a messenger bot you're giving that bot creator permission to send you sponsored messages product placement native advertising etc the aim is obviously that it should improve the experience of the user there were in the tests in august limits so that you could only send one message every 24 hours or within 24 hours of each interaction but there isn't going to be a cap 
in the public version of these sponsored messages, but Facebook are saying that they'll work with companies to make sure that they use them responsibly. There are also some developments in the new version 1.3 of the Messenger platform, which will mean that you can add tags to your links in the bots so that you can understand where traffic is coming from to your site. You can also link with deep links to a specific bot service and Messenger users can also more easily locate bots now through search on Facebook. It's also added some more functionality to the Messenger platform in general with Facebook. So there's now menus, buttons, cards and carousels. They all became available in June. And then this payment beta that I've mentioned in previous podcasts where people can complete transactions without leaving the app. And that's a real plus for Facebook because it's one of the few messenger services that actually allows payment within the app itself. Facebook also released their Q3 earnings. So in July to September, Facebook had $6.8 billion in advertising revenue, which is 59% increase from last year. Mobile advertising accounted for 84% of this, so really clear that the bulk of users on Facebook are on mobile. It's got 1.79 billion monthly users, which is up 16% from last year. And in terms of earnings, 2.38 billion in the third quarter, which is 82 cents per share, so it's up 31 cents versus last year. And its total revenue has risen 56% to 7.01 billion. Uh, Analysts are expecting $6.92 billion, so huge growth for Facebook. And then finally on Facebook, there's a redesign of the main app happening in Ireland at the moment on beta that puts a Snapchat-like camera interface front and centre alongside the newsfeed. And it's encouraging people to send selfies to friends that are going to disappear after 24 hours. So very similar to Snapchat indeed. And Zuckerberg is saying that the redesign will become available globally sooner rather than later. Instagram stories is already used by 100 million people every day, which is 70, nearly 70% of Snapchat's entire user base. And he said that in most social apps today, a text box is still the default way we share. Soon we believe a camera will be the main way that we share. So they're obviously gearing up for that by having this camera option when you open the Facebook app. Around the presidential election in the US, there's been some uh, criticism of Facebook in terms of the fact that there was a lot of fake news and hoaxes that were getting shared widely and potentially influenced people's vote. So Mark Zuckerberg has come out saying of all the content on Facebook, more than 99% of what people see is authentic. Only a very small amount is fake news and hoaxes. The hoaxes that do exist are not limited to one partisan view or even to politics. So one of the things was this fake quote from Donald Trump saying, if I was going to run for president, I'd run as a Republican because they'll believe anything. So Zuckerberg is saying that fake news is a problem on Facebook, but the company already works to enable the site's community to flag such material. And he said there's room for improvement, but clamping down on fake news is a slippery slope. This is an area where I believe we must proceed very carefully. Identifying the truth is complicated. While some hoaxes can be completely debunked, a greater amount of content, including from mainstream sources, often gets the basic idea right, but some details wrong or omitted. 
an even greater volume of stories express an opinion that many will disagree with and flag as incorrect, even when factual. I'm confident we can find ways for our community to tell us what content is most meaningful, but I believe we must be extremely cautious about becoming arbiters of truth ourselves, is what Mark said. But it is quite interesting that obviously Facebook want to show how influential they can be in terms of people's purchase decisions because they want to drive advertising and get brands involved. But now suddenly they're saying that they're not influential in terms of people's voting decisions. So it's a very fine line that they are treading at the moment on Facebook. On to Instagram. So they are finally letting users shop what they see in their feeds. They've announced that they're rolling out a feature that will let brands tag products in their post, which will then link out to a more detailed product page that will lead users out of the app. So this is for the first time outside of an ad or a link in bio and onto a retailer's website to purchase. So should be great for brands. Internal research shows that 60% of Instagram users report having discovered new products and services on the platform. For now, it's just available to 20 brands, including Kate Spade, J. Crew, Warby Parker, but it will be rolling out to everyone. And could be interesting in terms of the way that brands and influencers work on the platform. People are going to have to be a lot clearer about sponsored posts and things especially if they've got affiliate links going through to buy products but check that out when it rolls out it's definitely going to be good for brands in terms of instagram stories they've launched three new features to improve stories so the first one is just available for verified instagram accounts but you can add a hyperlink to an individual story so that viewers can tap on that link to view the website within the instagram app so you create those links when the story's uploaded and then users will see a see more that they tap to get more context. So the user can make it seem less cluttered and then give content when you click on that link. Secondly, mentions. So this is open to everyone. So you can tag up to 10 people in a story. Usernames will auto complete if they're a contact. And then anyone who's mentioned will be notified via Instagram and you can then tap on those mentions to go to that user's profile page. And then finally, Boomerang is being installed into Instagram Stories. So you just swipe right within the app to access Boomerang mode under the record button. So you don't have to have the Boomerang app open separately. So that's currently only available in Stories, not in the main Instagram app, but I imagine it will probably come to the app as well. On to Facebook's final property, WhatsApp. Seems like WhatsApp is also testing a stories-like feature within the app. So it's called Status. It's in the newest public beta of WhatsApp, Android and iOS. Uh, you have to be a beta tester and you have to have a jailbroken iPhone or a rooted Android phone to be able to try it. But it's the same thing, encouraging people to share multiple updates in a day. Each of them have a lifespan of 24 hours. You can either share it with every contact on your WhatsApp or you can select people. And this status tab sits in between chats and calls in the tabs within the app. So it seems that it's capturing photos and videos, but you can also pick images and videos from your library. You can also doodle on them and add text and they will all then show up on the status tab of friends. Not sure if it's gonna to come to WhatsApp globally anytime soon it's definitely through beta only and it seems that 
even beta testers have to download a third party app to make it work. But watch this space. I imagine it will launch to everyone eventually. On to Uber. So you might have seen that Uber has redesigned its app. I have to say I struggle with it. It's meant to be more simple, but I am rather confused still, having only used it a few times since it's been updated. But the key thing for it really is that it's going to use a lot more data. So it's going to be clearer in terms of spelling out how long it's going to take and what it's going to cost you to get to your destination. It also recommends places to be picked up in congested areas and I have noticed that. I ordered one from Euston the other day and it told me to go onto a particular road to meet them. And it's also gonna start looking at your travel history and your frequently ordered destinations and start to give those as shortcuts. And there's also an opportunity to give the app access to your calendars so that any addresses that are in there will come up and also to your contacts so that if you're trying to get a ride to wherever your contact is, even if they're not at home, you can send a request and if they have the Uber app, it'll come through that. If they don't, it'll be a text message to their mobile number to say, do they wanna share their location back? Uber's not worrying about any privacy problems because it's all opt-in, they're not just taking information. They're also looking at adding extra services, so things like checking out restaurant reviews through Yelp, sending messages through Snapchat and listening to music on Pandora. So again, really trying to integrate it into the way that people use their phones in general. I read an interesting article on Spotify this week that was with One Direction's manager, Will Bloomfield, and he was talking about the challenge now in the music industry is to break artists because you can break songs in a playlist kind of culture and that's what everyone's got now, different playlists. But in terms of then kind of transferring people listening to a particular song within a playlist to actually buying tickets for a tour, for example, that's a harder thing because people aren't ever really going into the ecosystem of the artist. They're just looking within fresh hits or Spotify dance. So to get them then to an arena tour or a stadium act is, is the challenge for the music industry, which I thought was quite interesting. Adobe have acquired the video ad buying software company Tube Mogul for $540 million. So Adobe's really developing this marketing technology and data platform for marketeers so that they can see the kind of end-to-end -end process in terms of their whole marketing campaign. So they think they've got an advantage over AOL and Google because they're not in the business of selling advertising or running a media property. They say we sell software platforms and so we give an independent standpoint and partner with brands and advertisers to help them build websites all the way through to buying media and advertising. So Time Warner, Comcast, Fox and other companies already use Adobe's primetime technology which powers their digital video streaming or TV Anywhere initiatives, which lets cable subscribers watch content online. And Adobe are saying, you know, many content creators and marketers also use all of their creative tools and their editing software to create content. So they've got this long history in video. And now by creating this marketing cloud, they're helping not only create video experiences, but also deliver that content to all devices. 
Onto Pinterest, so they have launched a new feature in pins that lets users specify whether they've tried what's shown in a pin. So it might be a pair of trainers or a recipe, and they can also tell users if they loved it or if they didn't like it. They can post tips that other users can see later. So it's rolling out on Android and iOS, and it's coming to the web in the next few weeks. And Pinterest is saying, when you find a pin you want to try, you can now view a new feed to see who's already cooked that recipe, bought that product, made that project, and see how it went for them. You can see the percentage of pinners who recommended it. And you can also go to your profile on Pinterest and see all of the pins that you've tried so far. So really turning Pinterest a bit more into a community where people can help each other in terms of recommendations. And last month, Pinterest user figures were more than 150 million monthly active users. So definitely worth making sure that your websites are optimized so that people can easily pin content from your site. So onto Snapchat, there's a new augmented reality element to the app now where there are special filters for the phone's rear camera that Snapchat calls world lenses. So they work similarly to the selfie lenses that obviously work with your front camera but they don't track someone's face but instead overlay 3d effects all over your surroundings so one that i've seen is smiling clouds that spill rainbows out over the image that you might be looking at so it could be a really gray cityscape and then you can add this so quite playful bit of fun as snapchat is but obviously this kind of mixed reality of pictures could be the future for augmented reality and it's something that's very interesting for key players within the tech industry and snapchat has recently rebranded snap inc obviously and calls itself the camera company one thing that they launched and we talked about on a previous podcast was spectacles so last week they went on sale in venice beach in la and they had this little yellow vending machine which will soon disappear just like a Snapchat message. So they're calling these vending machines Snapbots. I think the next one is probably gonna to move to New York. They had a queue of well over 100 people going around this car park where the vending machine was. The spectacles are $129 each. They don't want it to be perceived as a nerdy toy. I think they're very conscious about the way that the launch of Google Glass went. And so they're not even sending it to tech publications to review they're not proactively working with the media in any way they want it to be a real fashion accessory rather than anything else they're already appearing on ebay around 800 dollars each so definitely well done to anyone who queued around that car park and bought them for 129 dollars onto twitter so their customer service capability is expanding even further where they are announcing the launch of several new features for brands to use it as their customer service platform in terms of bots. New features include automated welcome messages and quick replies, which let businesses prompt people with the best ways to reply to a direct message. So the automated welcome message will show up whenever a customer begins a conversation with a brand's business account, and you can create multiple welcome messages and deep link people directly to a specific greeting from tweets, the website and apps. Quick replies, ask customers for more specific information before a private conversation has even started. So if a customer tweets a brand with a query or a complaint, the company can kickstart a private chat in order to find out more. Buttons will then prompt the customer to give further information so that the 
issue can all be resolved within Twitter. So Fernie, Evernote and Transport for London, TFL, have been using this feature already. So having these chatbots should really make Twitter more appealing to brands. Since Facebook launched its bots on Messenger earlier this year, 11,000 brands and individuals have developed programs for the channel. So it's definitely an opportunity for Twitter and should help them drive some more growth and revenue. I talked in the last podcast about the fact that Twitter were closing Vine. That is the case in that Vine's still open and still sort of integrated with Twitter at the moment, but you can't upload any new creative to the site now. However, since their announcement, there have been 10 bids from different companies who want to buy Vine. These have now been honed down to five. It's looking like the Japanese messaging app Line is probably in the front running. Although Pornhub have also said that they would buy Vine, which could turn it into an entirely new platform. But reports say that Vine was costing Twitter around $10 million a month to operate. It obviously didn't generate any revenue. There weren't any ads or anything within it. So it's looking like it's unlikely that Twitter will get the $30 million that it paid to acquire the platform in 2013. But looks like there probably will be a purchase of it and maybe it is not completely over yet. It's going to loop and continue just like a vine. Marvellous. Speaking of Vine, the original founders of Vine have launched a new app called Hype, which is only available on iOS at the moment, and it is a competitor to Periscope. So, live streaming app. The only difference, or it's quite a big difference, is that there is an opportunity to include cameras or videos from their device's camera roll blending live content with stuff that they've made earlier. So you can add music and emoji. You can have a background to your broadcast that is a video and it becomes like a a visual smorgasbord as was quoted in one article that I read about it. So it means that you can blend different types of communication. You can have one element of your broadcast being a live video, but then other elements as well. So it's really a sort of show and tell format You could, for example, do a live broadcast commenting on a previously videoed event, so maybe a computer game or a sports event. You can get people to guess, so your viewers could maybe guess what certain songs are. In terms of feedback, viewers can comment and those comments can also be shown within your broadcast. And people can also tap on individual visual elements on the screen and that creates this border of coloured stars which Hype calls sparkles, so they're a bit like the hearts on Periscope. And live broadcasts keep this running tally of sparkles and the number of viewers. You can replay it afterwards like you can with Periscope as well. And you can also sign in with Twitter or Facebook to push your broadcasts out to there. So iOS only at the moment, but they're saying an Android app is coming soon. Not a huge amount of content on there at the moment. It will be interesting to see if they can make it work. I think obviously Meerkat didn't manage to and has now morphed into House Party and is a very different product. There's also other versions of streaming platforms that have tried, but really the big boys of Facebook Live and Periscope are probably going to have the monopoly. But check out Hype, download it, have a look, see what you think. Staying on video onto YouTube. So YouTube has this approach of the three C's, which is community, creation, and creative ambition. 
and they have made some changes to the way comments work on the platform so you can now pin comments to highlight positive interactions that you might have from people you can put hearts against comments to show the love and now people can create usernames so that it's easy to identify comments and this is all to help creators shape the tone of their conversations on YouTube Again, I mentioned a few weeks ago that there was more of a kind of status update section being added for creators so that not all of their communication on the platform had to be via video. There's also an option to choose moderators to help them remove public comments and they can also blacklist words and phrases. And there's a new beta feature as well, which will give users the ability to hold inappropriate comments for review. So quite a few developments on YouTube as well. On to the brands section, but first I'm just gonna talk a bit about the presidential election. Obviously, Trump got in. I don't think people were expecting it, but maybe people sort of were expecting it. But I think it's interesting in terms of how much it highlights that we are living in filter bubbles these days because the algorithms and the way that personalization happens across social media now means that we tend to follow people that we agree with. And then obviously the algorithms learn what we're into and show us more of that stuff. And it can mean that we can end up in quite a blinkered state where we think everything is fine with the world and we've kind of shut out everyone that disagrees with us. So I've put a link to an article about that on the companion page. I've also put a link to a tweet that is proof that ad people are not like normal people where it shows a question to people who work in advertising and then people who don't in terms of how much you are on whatsapp twitter etc and the numbers are hugely different obviously ad people are all over twitter and stuff and then normal people as it's put are not so much so i think that's another learning from the whole presidential election that we probably have to follow some people that we disagree with and stuff on social media so that we don't end up putting ourselves in this really blinkered world. Another interesting thing was the fact that some fake adverts were put, well, real adverts, but fake information were put on Twitter that were saying, if you support Hillary, save time, avoid the line, vote from home, text Hillary to this number. And they weren't the right adverts, obviously. Twitter initially was saying that the ads didn't breach its terms of service, but then BuzzFeed got hold of the story and Jack Dorsey, the chief exec of Twitter, ended up intervening and taking the ads down. But again, it just shows how risky it can be in terms of false information on these social networks. On to happier things. So Christmas is obviously on its way now. Uh, bonfire night is out of the way so starbucks launched their red cups last week and the hashtag red cups on twitter gives a little emoji of a red cup at the end and these cups this year have been designed by all kinds of different people so i've embedded the tweet about that on the companion page also some of the big players have launched their christmas ads this week so john lewis have launched theirs personally i am not massively impressed by it this year i think it's obviously very hard once you've set the bar in terms of always coming out with this hugely emotional campaign every christmas that it's always going to be hard to do i feel like it looks very clearly cgi 
I didn't really feel emotionally connected to it. I actually preferred the joe.co.uk version where they had put Obama's head and Hillary and Trump's head. So I've also embedded that on the companion page as well as the actual advert for John Lewis. But it looks like they're going to be weaving Snapchat into it. They're also doing Twitter branded stickers around the campaign. But I think the most interesting thing for me when I was reading about them getting involved with Snapchat was that actually 43% of the UK adult users of Snapchat are parents. So I think that perception about it all being these young millennials, as it's put, I mean, they can still be millennials and parents, seeing as it's such a massive age span for millennials. But I think, you know, Snapchat is definitely something that can be considered as a publishing platform for these more established brands. The other thing with uh, John Lewis that interested me this week is you might have seen the Stop Funding Hate campaign, which I am a huge fan of, which is encouraging brands to stop advertising in the Mail, the Express and the Sun due to the way that they really peddle racism and hatred. Lego have replied to it and said that they're not going to work with the Daily Mail anymore. They used to do promotions where they would give free Lego out with the paper. And that's been massive for them in that they've got so much positive PR. Everyone's saying they're going to buy Lego at Christmas. John Lewis have also been asked and they've come back saying that they don't take editorial decisions in terms of where they advertise. And I think that's a huge mistake for them because I'm sure they do look at the factories that they work with and decide whether the working conditions are reasonable. So actually... I think they should be thinking the same in terms of deciding where they advertise. And I saw a very interesting tweet from someone that was saying that you would take precautions from a digital advertising perspective. So if, for example, you were doing pre-roll ads on YouTube, you probably would specify that you wouldn't want them before a video that was about violence or you wouldn't want them before a video that was about uh, guns or whatever it might be. And yet they're happily advertising in papers that are peddling hate and I also had a conversation with someone about the fact that I think in this day and age with all the different targeting that you can do particularly across digital platforms I really think that you could hit the same audience that you're getting through those newspapers in other ways I don't think they're necessary to reach that particular audience you know there's those people are still going to be watching X Factor and Strictly Come Dancing and things like that and I think with a combination of TV and digital you can probably get to them just as much as you would through a newspaper. I'm going to try and get some media people on next week to talk about that as well. So that was John Lewis's advert. I think M&S's Christmas advert is fab. I love it. So I've also embedded that on the companion page so you can have a look at it if you haven't seen it already. It feels like a more of a Christmas film. It's got emotion. It's got high production values. I think it's great. So well done Marks and Spencers. Few other things. Uh, Jameson's Whiskey did a cool Snapchat filter for Movember. Again that's embedded on the companion page. Greg's have moved into dark social so Greg's the baker are using a whatsapp group so that fans can get insider news on launch dates exclusive content competitions etc and it's for festive bake lovers which is very popular pasty among pasty fans and they get asked about it from July apparently and it comes out in November 
77% of all UK content now is shared via dark social, so messaging apps like WhatsApp and Facebook Messenger. So Splendid Communications, which is the agency of Greg's, decided to create this WhatsApp group. So it went live on the 2nd of November and it invited fans via Twitter and Facebook to join it. There was a limited 250 places and then it was full. And people in this group are going to receive updates about things that are launching and they can have more conversations with their consumers and get more insight. So be interesting to see the results they get from that. Vauxhall have teamed up with Twitter to send personalised videos to football fans. So they've used players from Northern Ireland, Scotland and Wales. And these videos thank supporters for their ongoing support ran over a two week period. So these messages are part of the hashtag get in campaign, which is all about supporting your national teams. And they've worked with my social database to create these hyper targeted audiences of football fans that they can target with personalized messages. So they've analyzed the follower graphs of Twitter users, and then they can find the true football fanatics on the platform and then target these ads to them. I've embedded an example of an ad on the companion page. And uh, this is a UK first for Twitter to give true football fans a unique surprise. And they say the feedback was extremely positive and the amount of engagement that they had was fantastic. Admiral Insurance got into some hot water at the start of November where they said that they were gonna start using Facebook information to decide on quotes. So first car quotes for people that were wanting to be insured by them. And they were gonna look at things like writing in proper English, um, making use of lists, agreeing to meet friends at specific times rather than vague periods. And they were gonna use that to look at their quotes. So if there was disjointed grammar peppered with exclamation marks or frequent use of always or never, then people would be penalized. So that came out in press. Facebook came out saying Admiral would not have access to this sort of information and that protecting the privacy of people on Facebook was of the utmost importance. And hours later, Admiral pulled the scheme. So first car quote was pulled two hours before its launch. And they've said that they'll launch the feature with reduced functionality. So um, not great. Just think about how you're going to use Facebook data and maybe don't go a bit too big brother would be my advice in that situation. America's Got Talent, which is an NBC show, is going to use the live streaming platform You Now to stream open auditions for the upcoming season. So they're saying that over 14,000 potential contestants have signed up to audition via You Now and it obviously makes it easier for people to audition rather than actually going to a location and queuing up to audition but they're also saying that it then gives them a whole wealth of content that they get from those auditions and people can watch that and they can use it in the future so a new way using digital to get more people auditioning i'm sure it'll probably come to x factor and uh, britain's got talent in the future as well seeing as it's a simon cowell production one other thing in terms of advertising, the Premier League clubs have been given permission to sell advertising on the right sleeve of their shirts. So on the left sleeve, you keep the Premier League badge, but on the right sleeve, they can now advertise there. It's worth about 20% of the total shirt sponsorship. 
So for Manchester United, for example, that's going to be worth £10 million. And the article that I was reading was showing examples of pictures of players celebrating after goals. It is quite good visibility on the arm of a shirt. So we'll see how many of those clubs sell that. But yet more money coming into the Premier League because obviously it's really hard up and it, it needs a bit more revenue. And then I just wanted to end on a, another piece from Jerry Dakin, who's one of my faves in terms of digital writing. So he wrote a piece about the way that uh, these disruptive media companies are starting to act more traditionally. So he says, in recent years, a range of industries have been disrupted by transaction-led companies, which themselves own little in the way of rights and capital. Uber doesn't own its cars, Airbnb doesn't own its rooms, and Facebook doesn't own the content that flows through its newsfeed. There are, however, early signs that this trend is being turned on its head. Could we be about to see a return to more traditional principles of ownership, especially amongst media and content companies? In recent weeks, Snapchat has signalled that instead of sharing revenue with the partners who publish to its Discover platform, it wants to pay them a fixed fee up front and then have full control of the end results. It's also started recruiting for development managers to oversee original shows on the platform, an even clearer sign that it's not content to simply be the media pipes that other people's content flows through. Snapchat has always had closer ties to professional producers through its Discover feature than most social platforms, which are monetized by ads served in the midst of whatever user or publisher content happens to be there. The move away from a revenue sharing approach would give it complete control of the ad inventory on its platform as it heads into a potential IPO, as well as eventually perhaps more of a say in the content that gets developed for it and the money any successful formats make through other means. For many years, YouTube has employed a model of revenue sharing with the super users who dominate its platform, and some of its biggest stars have been known to make millions. In recent years, however, YouTube has also explored new content models of its own, commissioning work from some of those same creators to flesh out its red subscription offering and trying to encourage more professional content producers into the space. The prize at stake is certainly a lot for an individual, but the profit from a successful channel may still seem fairly modest to a large media corporation looking to enter the space. Reimbursing professional publishers and duly owning their content is one approach, but rival platforms are exploring other ways to fill out their pipes. This week, Facebook turned to traditional TV and out-of-home media to launch a push around its live video offering in the US and the UK. The ads encourage people to share powerful and emotional moments or just show off their party tricks, but in doing so, Facebook is hoping to generate stickier content to keep other users online and potentially in front of ads for longer. It was well publicised that at the launch of its live product, it was paying key publishers to encourage them to produce content for them, and it now seems Facebook is looking for other ways to fuel the pipes. Twitter has been doing deals of its own and has turned more to traditional TV content than any of its competitors to date. Its streaming deals with media heavyweights, including the NFL, Wimbledon and the Premier League, are bringing that content to a new audience in a mobile format, but ultimately in a familiar way. Its Moments team has now also been working for over a year to create the best of the platform, similar to Snapchat's Stories team, to ensure users are seeing the best it has to offer. It all adds up to a world in which the competition for our eyeballs and the value of whichever content formats do take off is so great that no platform can really sit back and hope its users are producing good enough outputs on their own back. The likes of Netflix and Amazon have proven that made-for-digital content can be as good, if not better, than traditional broadcast, and the social platforms are now having to work their way through that maze. 
For now, Airbnb seems fairly content not to own any of its rooms, but will no doubt feel continued pressures to ensure the quality of those rooms is always increasing. Uber, on the other hand, looks set to follow media companies down the road of increased ownership and control. Its trials around self-driving cars hint at a future where, far from not owning any cars, it might own every single one of them. There's a link to that article on the companion page. That's all of the news for this week and the week before. As I said, bit of a bumper edition. Hope you found it useful. Do let me know by tweeting at Kate Hamer LTD or emailing kate at katehamer.com. Music.